0: You're listening to The Ascension Roundtable Podcast, Episode 45, Youth Ministry in an Age of Desensitization, with Brian Butler.
1: In today's episode, Brian Butler, a seasoned youth
0: minister, speaker, and trainer— shares practical ways in which you can better minister to youth and young adults in a culture that has become desensitized to the reality of the person. We discuss how to look at someone and see their good instead of devaluing them and seeing them as simply a sexual being. And at the end of this episode, you will be able to explain what it means to be a man and a woman, each one created in God's image and likeness. Stay tuned.
2: Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today we're joined with Brian Butler, co-founder of Dumox Ministries and one of our many authors with Ascension Press. You may have heard his name from Theology of the Body for Teens uh, Middle School and for our new Theology of the Body High School Edition called You. He's a speaker, a golfer, a singer, an artist, and, uh, and friends with Colin McIver, who is also here today. We have a packed house. So welcome, guys. What's up? <laughs>
1: Was Thank you. Thank you for that, uh, that very, uh, inaccurate, uh, articulation of who I am. I appreciate that, Alan. <laughs> I, do,
2: I do what I can. <laughs> he, uh, before he was with Delmox Ministries, he also served as the associate director for youth catechesis in the diocese, the archdiocese of New Orleans. That is correct. Correct.
1: That is correct. That's correct.
2: And, um, we're going to
1: fact check you all along
2: today. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. And it's just conjecture that he's a pop star in the Netherlands. That's has not been confirmed <laughs> nor denied yet. <laughs> and he's also a husband and a father and just an all around really cool guy. I can't believe it's been this long since we've had you on the show. It seems like we should have had you on like, I don't know, months ago. It's weird.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I that I I just for the record yeah I wish I was on earlier I'll be honest uh, but I'm happy that I'm here now uh, looking looking forward to to hanging out with you all and uh and seeing where all this goes.
2: Cool. Uh, so Brian has over 15 years of youth minister experience. He's a popular um speaker. He travels the country speaking to um youth and training people in how to speak uh to the youth. We also have Colin McIver with us today, who as you know um works with teens, is a theology director at a Catholic all-girls school, and um, so we have both those guys on the line today, and we're going to try and figure out how to deal with this uh, cultural phenomenon we see going on. So, Colin, how are you doing?
0: Doing well. You, you set the bar at kind of, kind of how we're going to figure out what to do with the cultural phenomenon.
2: Sorry. That's- sorry. Uh, we're going to solve everyone's problems <laughs> and move towards world peace by the end of the podcast. <laughs> Let's, ten minutes.
0: Better? Ten minutes. Off is <laughs> all we need. You got it. <laughs> But, but yeah, i very excited to uh, have an opportunity to, to do this. Um, this is uh, long overdue. So Brian, um, we we get a chance to chat a little bit, but it's probably been a, been a few months since we've had like, a serious like heart-to-heart conversation about theology, the body, and culture. So we'll, we'll do it on the podcast.
1: Yes,
2: let the, us. Yeah. Don't you guys live next door to each other? <laughs> Doesn't everyone in New Orleans live in the same
1: street?
0: <laughs> I, I am Ned Flanders. <laughs> No, no, we're we're in the same town.
1: Yeah, which is true. We're definitely too close to have not talked uh, at length in the last couple months. But it's it's great to to have the opportunity to do so because there's just so much going on right now that um, that that we need to be having. This is a prescient opportunity, really, right now, uh, because of all the things that are happening in the culture. Um, while we scratch our heads and we and we say, you know, oh my gosh, I can't believe things are as bad as they are, and this is happening, that is happening. Like the door is just flinging wide open to be able to talk about the truth and meaning of who God's made us to be and why it's important. When things go crazy off the rails, uh, is when we when we know that um, that we have you know a, a, a more engaged conversation. Yeah, definitely. So
0: um, I, I would say there's a there's a moment for evangelization here. And so Brian, I'll I'll, I'll ask you um, in in your travels in the last uh, same month or so since. Things have broken wide open in terms of the dysfunction of Hollywood, um, since things have broken open in terms of a, a discussion about the mistreatment of women in our culture and civilization. Um, how do you see this moment of evangelization playing out? What are, you, what
1: are you hearing and what are your interactions telling you right now? Well, I think, I think people's, um, people are open to, to listening and to maybe having some things be said that weren't said um, you know, a few months ago. Uh, because it's so front and center, uh, and it's, and it's a bit different than, than, you know, we know that we've had like a massive issue with pornography, uh, you know, over the last number of years, it's been getting bigger, but these things are placing front and center in real people's lives. You know, uh, the, um, the, the challenge of, of living, uh, authentically as men and women in right relationship. Um, and, and so I think that, you know, whenever, whenever women hurt, uh, Men hurt, too. We just don't always talk about it. And so I think that there's going to be a cycle that's going to move here, you know, over the next number of months or however long this, this goes on, that we're going to start to have conversations that dig a lot deeper uh, than than what we're just seeing in the in the really grossly exaggerated, horrible circumstances um, that, that have come out with specific Hollywood, you know, greats, which really aren't greats. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: I, I guess I, I've... um had a lot of moments in the last like couple of months where just uh, I don't know, just moments of shock. You know, I had an opportunity to, uh, to address a group of high school guys about three, four weeks ago. And I decided to focus group a bunch of, uh, a bunch of girls here on campus and beyond just about what they think high school guys need to hear. And I inadvertently opened a can of worms that, you know, just, just a lot of heartbreaking conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, I'll ask this. Um, What's what's the good news? Like, just getting back to kind of the heart of it, Brian. What's the good news that we have to bring
1: to this moment? Well, I think when people when people hurt, their their eyes and their ears are open to something new to ease that hurt, uh, and and to really recognize that there is a th- you have to recognize there is a threat in order to protect yourself from uh, that that next level of hurt. And this is one of the core things inside of the theology of the body when John Paul spoke about the the, the dual dimensions of shame. One of the dimensions of shame is a positive dimension of shame, which actually recognizes that the individual has a value which must be protected. That's one of the effects of shame uh, in in the modern-day world um, that we experience. And so, um, yeah, I think that I spoke at, a, at an all-girls high school yesterday. I did a student assembly in Mississippi, and um, their eyes were and ears were wide open. Uh, and, and they did want, like you said, Colin – uh, you know, they did want me to go next door to the all boys high school and said, mm-hmm. you need to go talk to them about all this stuff. Um, because they they recognize what what, uh, you know, a difficulty there is going on and how they want it to be better. And so the good news is that it can be and, and I've been inviting people to something I'm calling a resensitization to the reality of the person, right? Because mm-hmm. like, we have, we've obviously had a desensitization of, uh, you know, and actually, john Paul said, in love and responsibility, it's, it's a depersonalization by sexualization mm-hmm. um, that we're not looking at each other as persons anymore because we're devaluing them down merely into the sexual sphere. And so we need a resensitization, uh, a reorientation to the good of the person. Uh, and specifically in this conversation to the good, the truth, the beauty of woman uh, in all times, in all places. Uh, and, and as we hold her up uh, as someone that must be respected in that space, uh, by default, we're going to get to also holding up the goodness of man and uh, and and the way that there needs to be a balance here between the two.
2: So yeah, would, you I, guys I, say, I, I, would you guys say that um, there's been a, a recent uh, opportunity, if you will, f- for to, to bring this message to people because of the things in the news with Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey and the recent things that have come out? Have you been able to take advantage, if you will, of the recent news to start those conversations or is it just... Would you think that's a reality? And if so, how do we, how can we capitalize on that?
1: I mean, I think it depends upon the, you know, the venue. Um, a lot of times you only have a certain amount of time and uh, it, it can, devo- if if you start in the, in the space of like, kind of uh, on all the, all the negativity that's going on in the news, it can kind of devolve kind of quickly. And it, and it can sometimes just become really, you know, um, doomsdaying and, and negativity. So I'm careful not to I don't, I don't lead there, you know, uh, in, in, uh, conversations, uh, in talks and things like that. Um, but in, con- in one-on-one sort of conversations or small group sort of situations, I think it's great to ask questions like, what do you think's underneath this? Rather mm-hmm. than just talking about like, Hey, isn't everything so bad? Mm-hmm. Like what's underneath this? Uh, and you'll get a lot of really interesting conversations from, from yeah, teens, young adults. Uh, and adults, uh, everybody is needing to have a re this resensitization, you know, that we're talking about.
2: Yeah. And just the mere fact that it is so, so in the media right now, people's ears are more open to receiving the message.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I, I think I
0: find that the media's attention to this is more in the adult world that, um, my sphere of like sort of teen conversations in the last couple of months, they, they're not as plugged into Harvey Weinstein and hashtag me too, or what's happening with Kevin Spacey as they are to just their real life experiences. So I was expecting that they would be more plugged into that. Um, but they, the things that they're talking about are more the things that are happening to them when they're out there in the world and, um, to their own experiences of how they're being treated. But it definitely is like a particular moment. Um, a moment in particular for, for women. Um, and we we saw we saw that um, sort of come to a sharp focus with you know this women's march that happened right before the March for Life in January. And there was this sort of vision of well, this is what the elevation of women is supposed to look like. Um, and now we're the conversation is being had on a cultural level again. Um, and in the trenches of ministry, I think it's it's just really important that we have it, we have it proactively um, with you know certainly with teens. Um, but I think across the board with the, with the family, with the parents, um, I think that this is an area where
1: like the theology of the body is just, it's exactly like the
0: prescription that the culture needs.
1: Yeah. It's, and it's such, you know, John Paul talks about the fact that the, the virtue of purity, you know, is more positive than it is negative. It's about what is the yes, uh, not about what you're not supposed to do. And so really that, that's some of the limitations that. Where, where we are if we just talk about like you know the fact that, you know if, well, people shouldn't do that people shouldn't do that whatever the, that is um people shouldn't disrespect women people shouldn't expose themselves to people in public and all, all that kind of stuff but what should they do that's the that's the bigger question is like well what sh- what is the yes that we are all, that we're called to what is the yes that man is called to give to woman um and what's the yes that woman is called to give to man and that's i think where the you know uh, where the theology of the body is um like, you know, this great, beautiful, pristine body of water for, for people that are just dying of thirst in the desert.
2: What about, um, I would say, five years ago, dealing with teenagers that had um, transgender issues wasn't really on my radar. Uh, I don't know if it's because I was just naive or if, or if um, I felt that because you had to have parental consent in order to have gender therapy and that kind of thing, and so... Teens wouldn't have parental consent, and so it just wasn't going to enter my world. I don't know. I don't know what the reason why was, but it just wasn't really on my radar. But now it's it. It really is kind of uh, much more. Man, I'm not sure what I'm looking for. It's just part of their culture now, and there are teens who were in high school and and dealing with that issue and are in gender therapy and receiving what we would consider, you know, terrible advice on how to live their life. Um, what do you got? What's your take on all that? What do you guys think about all that?
1: Well, I think I think that it's important that we recognize that. Um none of us, or, or not none of us, most of us aren't qualified to <laughs> really be the only one walking with a teenager who's suffering the the trauma of gender dysphoria. Um, you know, that gender dysphoria is the latest uh, approved sort of name uh, on, uh, on gender identity disorder, was, I, I believe, the more common name a few years back until that was changed um, in the, you know, uh, Psychological Association's, um, But really, that that is—it's less clear on the surface the fact that really there is a psychological issue here um, that's at work when it's in its most severe sort of forms. I think you've got some other things where maybe kids are starting to experiment and they've been hurt and um, uh, and they really do have some levels of confusion. But it's not at the same—they're not all the same. Uh, And so most of us aren't qualified to be the only ones walking with a teenager that's that's experiencing that. And I'll be honest—I'm not walking currently with anybody. Um, that is experiencing that. I've met them and I've talked with them and had conversations, but in an ongoing way, I'm not. And I think it's important, really important to find a good counselor uh, in your area to be able to help. Uh, and, and when I say good, what I what I mean that's most important, I think, is that someone who's grounded in Christian anthropology, um, they don't even have to necessarily be Catholic, um, but to be really be grounded in a Christian anthropology of who what it means to be man and what it means to be woman created in God's image and likeness. And that has to be the grounded, the the foundation upon the conversations that are had, whether it's in the counseling office or it's in youth ministry settings or in school settings, uh, as we always have to come back to the foundational good of who God made us to be as male and female. Yeah. I
0: think, um, this issue is really kind of just dominated a lot of, a lot of thought right now. Um, even, you know, here in, in the, in our department at school, um, Currently, you know, uh, I don't think any of us are walking with, with anyone who's experiencing gender dysphoria. More, what we're experiencing is just the the challenge in how to how to talk about things in a way that doesn't immediately um, set up barricades and walls. Right. Um, we're finding more and more that in, in presenting um, in presenting difference and presenting complementarity that um, the the sort of tentacles of of gender ideology, uh, gender theory have uh just made their way into the teen consciousness so that when you want to talk about difference um there's already sort of a more of a resistance i guess than we've ever experienced before and so uh, presenting clear and nuanced and integrated vision of sexuality is um i don't i don't want to just say harder but it's it's uh you have to be more precise and more in tune um and I, i probably sort of say this all the time like but um you know, there, there's a, a self-evident truth that is no longer self-evident. And so you find yourself like, well, how, how do I present a vision yeah. of just the distinction of, of men and women?
1: Um, yeah. And I th- said so. part of that, I think, is helping teenagers, you know, to recognize um, scientifically, uh, <clears throat> you know, there are there are things that are true that sometimes we have a difficulty recognizing in general. Mm-hmm. Um that just, just being able to set up a baseline of the fact that there are certain things that um, that are real, but that we sometimes have a, a level of confusion of coming into the reality of of things that are real. I, I use the example sometimes of the fact that, like when I was when I was in high school, I had an experience playing football where I I was returning a punt and uh, I ended up getting hit so hard um, that I was I was really uh, not able to see straight. And the whole world outside of me looked like it was spinning, and I, I struggled, you know, to even make it back to my own sideline um, to sit down. And what what was the reality, you know, scientifically, is that if you get hit that hard with a blunt trauma, um, the little, you know, uh, follicles, the follicles in your inner ear, uh, little calcium crystals break off, uh, and your equilibrium is completely off because of that. And that's something internal that's that's really off. But what you feel, can feel, is that everything's spinning on the outside of you. And so what seems like an issue on the outside is really something that needs to be healed on the inside. And uh, and and I think that we have experienced as a culture so many different levels of trauma that all of us are experiencing some level of uh, difficulty of identifying ourselves as men and women. And John Paul II talks about this in a very quick little note in, uh, in The Theology of the Body about how there's a constitutive difficulty, he says, in in this era of which we live, in historical man, like after the fall, a constitutive difficulty of identifying oneself with one's own body as a man or a woman. Um, and I think now where we are with the cultural... Uh, shifts that we've experienced with the generational, uh, sort of issues that we have within families with the, this, the scorn, uh, you know, of, uh, of pornography that has, has, you know, altered the, the way that each other to such a degree, you have a, a lot of physical abuse, you have sexual abuse, uh, you have, um, verbal abuse. You've got all these different levels of trauma and one a young person might have experienced a couple of different levels of that in their own life. Uh, and that might even be separate from, A legitimate psychological condition that they might have regarding who understanding of who they are. I've heard Father Mike Schmitz before, actually in the U program, he uses this analogy of of B I I D, right? Body uh, bodily integrity identity disorder, and that is a condition where an otherwise normal, you know, normally healthy person doesn't suddenly does not recognize their own hand or their own arm or some limb as their own they feel like it's an impostor it's an alien and they go they'll go to the doctor and say you need to get this off of me like because it's not mine this arm is not mine and but what does a doctor have to do he has to patiently try to help that that young person or uh, to be able to re be resensitized to the gift and the truth of their own hand or their own arm it is absolutely the wrong thing to do to cut off or amputate that person's arm um and and really you know gender uh, you know reassignment surgeries and things like that is a mutilation uh it's a it's an absolute mutilation and an amputation of uh the gift of who we are as men and women and so um i think it's sometimes we we get caught up in in all of the phrases uh you know uh, kind of high level and we forget what we're really talking about um about the fact that we're talking about mutilation of a person if we're going to try to solve the issues of what they have going on inside of them by actually just changing things on the outside.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I think there's such a, there's such a challenge, um, in, in bringing that clarity to, to a world where like the, the blunt force vertigo is something that's experienced, not just by individuals, but there's, there's a cultural vertigo. Exactly. And, um, I I know just in in my travels, um, you know, the last several months, just talking to um to people who are out there trying to trying to bring um a solid anthropology into their catechesis or just finding that vertigo um as a you know as a as a barrier like how do i how do i put this to the group but um i often say the the more important thing and it is important that we have a clear way to present to a group but the more important thing is um yeah it's really walking with walking with each kid like every every teen out there um you know, is, is in sore need of, uh, of accompaniment. I think maybe that's where, um, where in my mind the shift goes into, well, we, we need to, we need to empower the home um, yeah. to be a place where, where that clarity can, can be restored so that, you know, whatever's happening like out there in the culture, the, the home becomes like a safe haven for discovering, um, discovering identity and figuring out who we are and, and, and you know,
1: healing the vertigo, so to speak. And, and oh, wow. inside of that, is empowerment is empowering parents, teachers, educators, youth ministers, um, and even friends to affirm the goodness of the person um, rather than to affirm the um, affirming, uh, you know, a, a non-truth. Um, and, and that's you know, obviously it's dicey territory, you know, uh, to be able to affirm the goodness of the, of the person and not wholesale affirm all of their confusions affirm that we understand they are confused and that they are experiencing this deep hurt. Um, and, and like you said, Colin, accompaniment is, is the place where it's at, you know, and, and, and Pope Francis, you know, calls that, um, you know, reverencing the sacred ground of the other. He says talks about taking one's sandals off before the sacred ground of the other. Um, and, and that's, that's an approach. That's not just about a particular argument. That's not about a particular logic, that's about an approach with one's eyes, one's heart, one's body. Um, the way that I receive this other person is going to be remembered by them when they're 40, more than the logic that we use in a conversation, right? Like, um, And that's how it is in, in humanity. You, you, your, your favorite teacher from when you were young, right, Colin, whoever that was, you probably aren't going to like talk about how they were brilliant in a particular subject. It's going to be the way that they care for you. Mm-hmm. Um and that's really, I think, something that that everybody can do, whether or not you're a counselor or not, whether you you have a PhD in anthropology or not, is to really make sure that we are receiving the gift of every person, uh, whatever level of you know uh, vertigo they might be experiencing, sexual vertigo, you know, uh, inside of their own life, um, especially those that are that are suffering from this deep, this deep pain of of gender dysphoria.
2: So for people in the church that are working um, with teens or maybe even um, adults that have teens that are struggling with this or family members, how do we convey the fact that we want, that we're willing to walk with them other than just saying it outright, how do we convey that we want to walk with them and that we're open to listening to them but not shy away from the truth about who they are? How do we, how do we create those moments that we can talk to them individually as persons and either get them the help they need or walk with them or accompany them? How do we create, create that opportunity, I think is my question.
1: Well, one thing that I think needs to happen is it has to happen in a in a very um, in a private setting. You know, they have to they have to hear from us in a one on one sort of scenario, or you know, the two on one sort of scenario uh, of how of how much we love them and how much we want them to be able to be a part of the community and to be here, um, and not allow uh, a desire for uh, acceptance um, to look a particular way according to that young person and let them dictate how everybody's going to receive them. And that's one of the challenges, I think, because sometimes uh, they can, um, because they've been so hurt and because they are so confused, uh, the, the way that they feel maybe that they, to handle it is to go ahead and dictate how everyone should receive them. And, and, you know, they're, they have examples of that in the culture right now, people saying, no, this is how you will receive me. Um, and, and that's not really fair to everyone in the room. And so I think for youth ministers and teachers and things like that, they have to Be willing to have the conversations in private uh, and then trust that, um, you know, in those private conversations saying, you're welcome here. I'm so happy that you're here, Um, uh, you know, and uh, grateful that you're here, asking the, you know, the questions and walking with them, uh, trying to get them help uh, and really be able to walk them into those uh, counselors' offices. Uh, If they're not willing to receive that and if they're going to try to force everyone into a scenario that is not that's not healthy, um, then I think there's, there's further conversations with the family, you know, that need to happen um, because it is really important that we preserve the space um, of in which we're having these, these conversations. The classroom can't just be all about one person. The youth group can't just be all about one person as important as that one person is.
0: Yeah. Well, I would, I would say um, to,
1: to affirm that just as like a really simple practice, um,
0: if there's ever an issue that needs to move on to a counselor or, um, even, you know, heaven forbid, there's, you know, some sort of like abuse that needs to be reported um, as a practice. It's always to go with the young person who's, who's had the experience to go with them to the counselor, or if a conversation Absolutely. needs to be had with parents to offer, like, I'll, I'll come with you. If it's really hard to say this to your parents, or I'll, I'll if you want to say this to your parents, I'll, I'll sit there with you and, and, and be with you when that happens. And that's, you know, that's not rocket science, but um, it's one of those things that we have to be intentional about doing. Um, so th- that on the accompaniment thing. I also um, would say that, you know, from, from a pretty early time, um, I always try to consider that if I'm talking to a group, there are members of that group that experience, you know, that experience uh, every, every uh, every kind of um, relevant issue that you can think of. Like there, there's somebody in the crowd who um, like, we'll say chastity issues. There's somebody in the crowd who's currently, currently is in a relationship and they're, you know, sleeping with their boyfriend sleeping with their girlfriend there's somebody in the crowd who's addicted to pornography there's somebody in the crowd who's um, experiencing gender dysphoria there's somebody who's um, who's same-sex attracted there's somebody out there in the crowd you know we could go on the on the list so that when we're presenting about issues um, we're, we're considering that that the people who need to hear it the most are, are right there in front of you um, and that's that's a matter of, you know, of sensitivity but I find that it helps to refine sort of find what we're saying so that there is really that balance um i think i've I maybe said this on other podcast too but it, it came to light um this fall like i on the way to a training was um just really kind of sitting specifically with issues of um how we talk about how we talk about gender how we talk um you know to our brothers and sisters who experience uh, attraction of people the same sex you know um jesus always did three things that he looked first he saw the person that was in front of them. And even when he was in front of a crowd, like he looked out and he really saw his audience, like mm-hmm. consider the Sermon on the Mount, like, or even when there's like a giant massive crowd in front of him, he sees the people that he's with, you know, so he looks. And then secondly, he loves, you know, and that, that love that, that issues forth from his heart, like it is, like it's an affective love that that comes out of the heart of Jesus. And then the third thing he does is he challenges, you know, that, that from from really seeing the people in front of them, from really loving them, he has the ability to issue a challenge that's um, that's often well received. You know? So whether we're talking about the woman caught in adultery, or we're talking about the woman at the well, or even in um, in like the microcosm of like the call of Matthew, the tax collector is just like sitting there. You know? Jesus can do these things in like two seconds flat. Sometimes um, it may take us a lot longer, but it's you know, see see who's in front of you and love them and challenge them. Um, I don't know, that, that seems to be uh, you know, Jesus' consistent and clear approach in the gospel. Um, it's, so, a, it's a great
1: approach. Know. It's a great approach, and it's important, I think, too, to remember that uh, we, might, we might possibly do those things to a T, and, uh, and, and we might see some good traction. We might see some good response. And it's also possible we did it all right and things still explode in our face, and there's still a great misunderstanding. And I, I think it's important to remember that Jesus himself, the master teacher, um, was very misunderstood. And so we have to be willing to follow him into that. In this cultural climate, we as catechists, as teachers, as youth, we have to be willing to be misunderstood. Um, and that's difficult, right? Because we want to clarify and clarify and clarify. Um, but sometimes people are going to walk out. And, and sometimes they're going to misunderstand us. And they might even tell everybody else that we're saying something different than what we're saying. And that's nothing new in the gospel. It's nothing new in the church. And we have to be able to, to suffer that um, in, in the climate that we're in. Uh, and know that if we pray and entrust it all to the Lord, that he's going to bring good out of that in the end.
0: I thought it was going to be just like fun and easy all the time. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm really, I'm really disappointed to hear that. That, Yeah. It's so important
2: to keep in mind. And Colin, you have a story that, that I know you share occasionally about, um, teens actually walking out of a class and, um, and so, you know, I think we absolutely have got to be sensitive to who's in the audience and maybe even say there may be some of you out there right now that are struggling with this. And I would love to, to talk with you about it after, you know, whatever presentation you're you're giving. But we can't shy away from the truth and, and um, protecting that environment and and letting them know that, that uh, we're going to love them and we're going to tell them the truth, even if we think it's something they don't want to hear. So and be prepared yeah. for them to walk out or walk away or
0: I have to clarify about the walkout. This is sort of funny. Like, cause I do, I do tell that story and it was like maybe four or five kids, but it came back to me. Um, he was like, yeah, I, mean, I heard you had like this walkout. Like, but the way that it came back to me was like, like hundreds of people like, like walked. Out. I'm like, no, no, like, they had torches and pitch. <laughs> like, no, it, it was, and it, but it, it, it was a, a very like impactful moment because there, there was, there was a clear rejection. It was, it was a few, I don't want to like over overstate it, but, um, but yeah, it was like a big uh, check moment that sometimes, well, sometimes they, they, they may come for you with pitchforks and those sorts of things. I luckily haven't experienced that yet. But yeah, uh, but yeah that rejection is possible.
2: I was going to switch gears a little bit unless you have something to uh, add about this particular topic before we go.
1: I think just to bring hope you know to to people that that it's not impossible uh it's not impossible to to follow the lord into the difficult place of being a missionary in this time you know the, the go back to the you know the times when missionaries were going out to these hostile regions right it's funny that you're bringing up pitchforks colin because like <laughs> um it, you know it's taken different forms throughout the ages right Of whether it was swords or spears or you know uh, and you read but this is what the lives of the saints is, are, you know, is mm-hmm. to bring bring the gospel into hostile territory, and sometimes our own classrooms or our own youth groups or our own sort of communities might feel that way. And some of that might be our own fears amplified inside of us, you know, that the, the, the enemy playing on our own, you know, weaknesses and things like that. Um, but some of it's really real, and and uh, but there's a lot of grace in those places. That's where you know the, the Lord provides the grace. Uh, for those of us that are willing to trust him into those places, and Scripture says, "Do not worry about what you are to say um, when they drag you before kings and, and 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 governors and nations." Like, for at that moment, you will be given the words to speak. And and I think that paralyzing fear that a lot of us feel. And I want to say this too for those of you listening out there, like <laughs> Colin, myself, all of us, everybody experiences fear <laughs> when it comes to presenting the gospel. There's all there's something that all of us like would rather a question we'd rather not be asked, a topic we'd rather not come up that's that's just natural but being able to trust in that space is where we really recognize this is not my work this is not our deal this is the the much bigger than me and I have this little but very important role to play and I want to trust you Holy Spirit that if you're leading me here I want to go ahead and, and entrust it with you and do the very best I can but make sure that I'm praying on the front side the middle and on the back side and and know that that's going to be enough um, in order for it to be what it should be in this moment
0: you know if I, I was a little quiet earlier um, actually Amy and I were having a, a talk just, just this morning about, about this issue. And, um, I I'm definitely in, in a time of like a lot of interior reflection, like, like I, I look out at the, at the culture, at the world, like the, you know, I talk, um, I don't know if you listen to the podcast, you pr- probably like, you play like a little game, like take a sip of sip of coffee. Every time you hear me say ideological colonization, <laughs> you drink a lot of, you drink a lot of coffee. Um, but it's cause like, I, I do experience like sort of, uh, like the weight of that, like hits me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, like things have changed so quickly, so fast. And, um, how do we, you know, how do, how do we put a message out there that'll really like resound that people will be able to hear. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it there's, there's definitely, um, definitely, uh, this, this is a time. And as a, I'll, i remind maybe some of you out there have been to some trainings where you just. Like heard me sort of say like you know you were born for times such as this. If you're in ministry, um, it's not like you know Jesus is like surprised like oh shoot like who do I have in there like he's in that class like who's the DRE over there oh man I meant to put meant to put someone else in like God knows like who will be doing ministry at this particular juncture in history at whatever particular parish or school or diocesan office that you're in and and He'll equip you you know um and uh, I, I guess that that's that's the encouragement that even if in the, in the moment we don't have like all of the exact clear answers. Um, it's where God invites us like into like the deeper reflection and like onto our knees and to really open our eyes and ears to the way that he's communicating to us so that we can communicate to this generation. So.
2: And he can use anything. You know, he can use, well, we look out there in the culture and see, um, the doom and gloom of the scandals that are happening and think, Oh man, look how bad it is. But you know, God can use that to open somebody's eyes to say, um, here's this industry that was spitting a certain message towards me. And now look at what's happening behind the scenes of that industry and to kind of uncover some of those lies and things. So it, even though it looks doom and gloom, the Lord can use that to, to open people's yeah. eyes and ears and to hear a, a positive message. So,
0: Judging a tree bites fruit, right? Yep. From some smart guy who said that
2: one. Like a- <laughs> it's in a book somewhere. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, it's been, it's been fun. This has been uh, educational and informative for me. I know for sure. And was going to help me in my ministry that I do at church. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, real quick before you go, can you tell us uh, what DUMOX Ministries is, what you do, and how people can get information about you and it?
1: Yeah, thanks, Alan. Um, DUMOX is named after, by the way, people have been wondering the whole time. They always do. <laughs> but they don't always ask. Like, what is, they ask somebody afterwards, what is that DUMOX thing? Where, where, where did it come from? Yeah. Um, St. Thomas Aquinas was, uh, lived in the 1200s. He was a massive man, uh, but he was, uh, and he was brilliant, but he was very quiet. And so uh, his friends nicknamed him the dumb ox, meaning that he was large and silent. Um, but he didn't become a saint because he was brilliant. He became a saint because he was very pure in heart, and he was faithful in following God's call in his life. And those are two things that we cultivate in our ministry, um, specifically through the lens of the theology of the body. Um, we work with teens and young adults and families to to cultivate um, a right ordering of relationships and, and uh, living in chastity and uh, preparing for uh, or living out uh, faithfully, whatever vocation it is that God calls people to. And so we do that through, you know, lots of different retreats and, um, and parish missions and seminars and multimedia. And, uh, and we have camps in the summer. Uh, if any of you are listening that have teenagers uh, or young adults in your sphere uh, that you would want to, come hang out with a great group of people a community of people that actually dig in for you know for a a week better part of a week into the themes uh that we're talking about of of theology of the body and the church's teaching there and we we don't shy away from the uh, the hard questions but we have enough time to really be able to lay a foundation upon which to have the conversation which is what you don't often have in in Mm -hmm. um you know a classroom setting where you're you know you only have an hour or whatever so this is an extended sort of Thing. And I would encourage anybody to get on dumboxministries.com and look up Echo. Echo is our uh, kind of flagship experience uh, for uh, an immersion in, uh, into the theology of the body. And that's for open for older teens uh, that will be like sophomores, juniors, seniors, um, and then also for college students and young adults as well. So uh, we'll be doing uh, three of them this summer, uh, two in Louisiana, one up in Chicago uh, and then we'll be heading back across the pond, most likely again also in next year, um, to do it in England again. So love to have some more people uh, come join us for that. Um, but you can always get in touch with us and find out all what we're doing at com.
2: Excellent. Thanks so much. And we're going to have you back on, man. Definitely going to have you back on for so many things I want to talk to you about. So um, we'll I look forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be good. All right, Colin. Uh, we'll let you go uh, wax your beard or whatever it is you do to that thing and uh, for all of our listeners out there if uh, we want to hear from you so if there's a, if there's a story you want to share with us about a, a success story or a struggle you're having uh, particularly with transgender issues please write in and let us know and um, if you have any questions for us please write in and ask us and we'll try to address them and uh, keep doing what you're doing because it's good, it's good work we love you guys, we're praying for you guys and we will talk to you next time peace